Many podcasters stick with the normal podcasting practices, but you, you're different. You like to be different and try different things. You do it like this, and then you break the mold. This is Podcasting Experiments, and this is where we focus on different things that we can try with our podcast to make them different and hopefully better. You can check out the website at podcastingexperiments.com. My name is Joshua Rivers from Podcast Guy Media, where I help people start and produce their podcast. This is the third episode of Season 6, where we are looking at local podcasting by talking to people that are doing a local podcast, whether it's their town, their city, their county, or state. Whatever it is, these podcasters are bringing the focus of their podcast topic to their local region. Mark Bologna is the host of Beyond Bourbon Street, which is a local podcast about New Orleans. He joins us today to be able to talk about his podcast and his podcasting journey. And he actually talks regularly with Chris Hollifield from the I Am Salt Lake podcast, who was on the podcast in the last episode. And they also end up helping each other to be able to continue to grow their own podcast through this uh, regular interaction with each other. Now, today, we're going to hear the best advice for somebody starting a local podcast and the biggest struggle that Mark has had on his podcasting journey, how to go about getting ads and sponsors for the podcast in a local setting as well. And then also, more importantly, what you can do to be able to start a local podcast. Now, as Mark begins telling his story, he starts with how he first got into podcasting. I started a local podcast about New Orleans because I was tired of the national narrative about New Orleans. So what I mean by that is once a year you see the pictures on national TV about Mardi Gras and they show Bourbon Street and people doing lewd things for beads, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not the New Orleans I grew up with. And so I decided to share the New Orleans that I grew up with, my perspective as an insider, with a larger audience. Well, that's kind of cool. So you grew up there, did like your whole life or? Yeah, I was born and raised here in New Orleans. And then I was away for 15 years. And I came back, my wife and I came back in January of 2012 to raise our then newborn twin daughters as New Orleanians. So that's why we came back. But when you are a New Orleanian, everyone has an email or a Google Doc ready that answers the question when a friend calls and says, oh, hey, I'm coming to New Orleans for a weekend. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And that email was essentially the genesis of the podcast. Okay. Well, that's cool. So when was it that you started the podcast then? We actually launched the podcast, the first episode, on December 31st, 2015. But I started working on the idea earlier that year. I had gone to Podcast Movement, which that year was in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I basically just went with an idea that I wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't know what. And so everyone I met, I pitched three or four ideas. And every time I talked about the New Orleans idea, people's eyes lit up. And so that's the one I went with. And I worked on it for a few months and dealt with sort of imposter syndrome about releasing the first episode, but the first one finally went out at the end of 2015. Okay. Well, that's cool. I was actually at that podcast movement, at least for one day. I don't remember being able to meet you, but I'm sure we crossed paths (laughs) somewhere because back then podcast movement was a whole lot smaller. I think it was about a thousand people or something like that, that year. 
Yeah, maybe even smaller. And I had just had arm surgery, so I went with a a, a sling, oh. which was sort of a good conversation starter. But I had had surgery just a few days before, and it was a last minute decision to go. So it was interesting, but that was really the catalyst. Well, excellent, excellent. And so, kind of looking back, can you kind of? I mean, you kind of told some of the things there, but do you have a little bit more as far as like maybe from a technical side or maybe some nuts and bolts of how you actually went about starting it? Sure. Well, again, I pitched the idea to lots of people at Podcast Movement, and as you mentioned, it was a smaller event back then, so people were very willing to help on the spot. And one of the people I met was Lou Mangello, who has a a long-running, very popular podcast called WDW Radio. And someone introduced me to Lou, and his eyes lit up, and he said, this is what I do about people's love of Walt Disney and what you you could do a similar thing around people's love of New Orleans. And what he meant by that, I think, was really building community so that people could share their passion, their shared passion about a place. So that was sort of helped me kind of think about it. But then I spent, I'm pretty much a planner, so I spent a lot of time brainstorming ideas. So nuts and bolts of that. Even today, I keep my ideas in Evernote in a long list, and then I start to flesh them out and, and do the research that I want to do or read the books. In terms of equipment, I had been working on like a little home studio. And right when I finished that, my wife said, eh, I don't know if I want you bringing strangers into our home with back then three or four year old twins. (laughs) So I shifted gears and I said, well, okay, I'm going to create a studio and a backpack. And so I use a couple of, typically I use ATR 2100 mics with XLR cables running into a Zoom H5, a good pair of Sony headsets, and a USB battery to run the Zoom since it eats regular batteries. And that's pretty much my kit. I had a local bag maker. Um, I interviewed her for a small business episode I did, and she crafted for me a custom-made bag so that all my gear has a place, and it unzips on two sides, and basically I have a studio and a backpack. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I have stuck with, it's really cool. It's really convenient. I keep all my gear in there all the time when I'm not using it, so it's ready to go. And one of the, and maybe this gets to a tip, Josh, is that it enables me to go where people are. So almost all of my interviews are local. And when I contact someone and we agree to do an interview, I will typically, up until this point, let them pick the place. And that gives me some insight into them. And it also tends to put them at ease. A lot of my guests don't have a lot of experience on the microphone. So when they pick an environment they're comfortable with, it just helps set the mood and relax them a little bit. And that has also taken me all over the city in places that I might not have chosen. So mm-hmm. that is, uh, I'm really pleased with that decision. It's worked out well. Well, that's cool. So you gave one tip there. Is there. What would you say would be the best advice that you would give someone that is starting a local podcast? Well, I'm sure you get this a lot, but the first thing that comes to mind is just start, because no matter what you think you will learn by doing, and the feedback you'll get as you build up listeners will help influence you. The other thing is really think about your avatar, who you're trying to talk to. Are you trying to talk to people local in the community? Are you trying to talk to people who might visit the community? Because those are going to be two different things. There's a guy... In a Facebook group community named Lee Ball, B-A-L-L, he has a show. I think it's called This is Rammy, and it's about a place I've never been. It's Ram's Bottom, Great Britain. 
And it's very much like a little news show, right? He talks about the event in the town this weekend and the soccer match. And and his listener is the local person. And that's how it's geared. In my case, about 90% of my listeners do not live in New Orleans. So I try to take that into account when I'm thinking about how to approach a topic or even what topic I might tackle. Mm -hmm. And so I think people should give thought to that, right? What's the... Uh, Chris Holyfield out in Salt Lake has a great podcast called I Am Salt Lake. And Salt Lake City isn't a big tourist destination. So he tends to focus on local business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, So I really think it's stopping to think about who you are trying to target. That's a really good point. And so whenever I work with people, I try to tell them to figure out who their audience is as well. But you're right, that would be a very different podcast, even though it's targeting... Sure could potentially be the same basic content, but the way you present the content and all that kind of stuff would be different based on who you're yeah. wanted to share it with. And it doesn't mean that you never sort of violate those rules, but it is a sort of centralizing focus, right? And the advice I would give to somebody listening is don't say my podcast is for everyone who wants to visit pick a city. That's not a demographic. Mm-hmm. And don't say even that it's all guys or it's all women, right? When I think about my ideal listener, I have a very specific image. She's 48 years old. She's single. She's traveled the world. She's been to New Orleans. She spends money on travel. And I could go on and on and on. And it doesn't mean that I don't get listeners that don't match that. But when I'm trying to decide how I present a topic or if I would even want to tackle a topic, I think about that person. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it's a real person. And so I'll call her and say, what do you think? And it is amazing to me how over now four years, very, very, very often, the listeners that reach out to me fit that demographic or are very close. Or they'll say, gosh, you just rattled off 12 criteria and I matched 10 of them. And I would tell people that's really foundational to know who you're trying to talk to. You can always adjust but have that in mind as part of your planning and, and as you're ongoing scheduling and doing recordings and, and research and all of that, that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So in the four years that you've been doing this, what would you say is the biggest struggle that you've had? I think early on it was confidence and finding my voice and being comfortable, right? That this is something that somebody other than my mom wants to listen to. And then I think as I've moved along and now I'm coming up on a hundred episodes it has moved to getting good processes in place so that I can either get assistance or automate things and so that I can get ahead as well. Because I've been doing this for four years and I've never been more than one episode ahead. And I publish every other week and a typical show from idea until it's out the door takes me 20 hours to produce. And so that's a lot of time to never really be ahead. And for me, that struggle really revolves around having good processes and systems in place. Yeah. So are you doing the podcast by yourself or do you have any assistance? I do it by myself. I have at various times had, I had somebody helping with research. I had someone helping with promotion, but right now it's just me. I have a pretty good system in place these days in terms of idea generation and then doing the research and how to catalog the research Uh, I just recently automated, which is ridiculous. It took me four years, but I just recently automated the process of booking guests like you do um, using a calendar service. 
And that seems so simple, but I hadn't done it, and it's sort of life-changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's all me. Well, nice, nice. One question I've been asking, because it's a question that every podcaster has, and that is, how can I grow my podcast? How can I get more downloads? How can I get more listeners? Looking at that angle, how do you grow a local podcast? Right. I just released my 99th episode. They're bi-weekly. And while on some level it's a vanity metric, sometime in the next couple of weeks I'm going to hit half a million total downloads or listens when you add it all up. And it has been virtually all by word of mouth. I have grown a pretty big Instagram audience at Beyond Bourbon ST. I haven't posted in a couple of months. I've been taking a break to focus on some other pieces. But I have 33,000 followers. And when someone responds to – I mostly take pictures of houses in New Orleans – And when someone responds, I answer. When someone writes to me or engages in our Facebook group, which is really a a thriving community, I answer. And in terms of actively trying to grow, I tell people about it. If I'm traveling, if I walk out of my office and someone's on the street looking at directions on their phone, I walk up and ask them if they need help. And then I also, for my call to action, whether it's on the podcast or in the communities, I ask people. I, I usually close my show by saying, Hey, if you know someone who loves New Orleans as much as you and me, why don't you share the show with them? Or tell one person you know that loves New Orleans as much as you about Beyond Bourbon Street. And the thing I like about word of mouth, I try to think about if we didn't have the internet, if we didn't have social media, how would you grow your business? You would do it by having conversations and engaging people. You can do the same thing, even if it's virtually. And what I find, Josh, is that that might be slow, but it's really sticky. And what I mean by that is once you connect with someone, they're going to stick with you because they get to know you, like you, trust you. They get to know you as a real person. And if you don't fit my demographic, if you don't like, if you're not interested in New Orleans or you don't like my voice, you're not going to listen. But once you come in through sort of those jumps, if I provide a service or, or a listening experience that really resonates with you and you get to know me as a person, you're going to be excited about it. And to me, that's what newcomers don't. Everybody wants to jump and get a ton of downloads. Well, you may never get a ton of downloads, but 100 people listening that really love everything you do and love the topic is far better than being able to say, oh, I have thousands of listeners and no one ever writes me. No one ever, you know, no one in- engages with me. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, people don't always like to hear that. The other thing is I think people tend to compare numbers in ways that that aren't helpful and what i mean by that is for me to compare my numbers to pat flynn is silly pat is in a different genre (laughs) pat started early he's got a you know he's he's incredibly successful but i don't need to hit pat flynn numbers to make a very good income and also have very dedicated followers and if you are focusing on a local area you're likely not going to get millions of downloads but it doesn't really matter. What you need is listeners and a community that really likes what you're doing and can't wait to hear more and buy things that either are sponsor, you know, that are that you advertise or or products that you create. Okay. Well, that transitions into the next question I had here, and that was about having any ads or sponsor spots on the podcast. Do you have any of those? I do. I have all local sponsors. I have right now, I have a, um, a local hotel, like a boutique hotel. I also have a tour company, tour guide company. 
I have uh, a realtor uh, and a couple others. But I focus pretty much on local sponsors. We may actually end up getting a, a bigger sponsor soon, but only because it ties into what we're doing. So yeah, I've been pretty successful with finding sponsors and providing good value for them and making sure that the products and services are things that I truly would recommend and think would be helpful to my typical listener, which you know gets back to that knowing who you're trying to talk to. Okay. Now, for someone that is starting a local podcast, or maybe they've been doing the local podcast, and they're just looking at starting the process of getting an ad or a sponsor, how would you recommend that they go about that process and be able to position their podcast in a way that would be appealing to the sponsor? I think it's, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's knowing who your audience is. And then it is thinking about what products and services would be useful for them. So that's step one. Step two for me is to then think about potential sponsors or partners and what kind of return on investment they would need. So what's the value for them to sponsor your show? And I do not believe for local podcasts, I do not believe in CPM or the traditional radio model, right? Where you you negotiate a rate based on each thousand listens or thousand downloads. I don't think that makes any sense in the local market. What does make sense to me is to think about what's the value that I can bring? What's the return on investment for the potential sponsor? And try to think about pricing from that perspective. So let me give you an example. When I approached the hotel, first thing, I threw business to them for about a year because I just believed in them. I knew they were a good fit for my listeners. They didn't even know who I was. But all along, when I would tell people, hey, this is a good hotel, I think it'll fit with you'll be interested in, let me know if you go, send me a little note. And I collected those. And then when I reached out to them, I did a little research. I went online, I looked at what their room rates were, and, and I just kind of guessed, you know, somebody coming in town is probably staying three nights. Let me go try to book three nights there. Looked at the price and said, okay, so if that is X number of dollars, do I think I could sell one of those a month or one of those uh, per episode? And then I was able to go to them and pitch that way. Hey, look, I think people are spending this much at your place. I think that this is a good match. And here's what I think I could deliver for you. And based on that, here's my price. And, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth. And obviously, sometimes you have to get people up to speed about what a podcast is and be able to show them numbers or demographics. And I learned this from Michael O'Neill, who runs the uh, Solo Hour podcast, Solopreneur Hour And he talked about lifetime customer value, but the other takeaway I got from Mike was this idea about go into it being honest. And so I I try to negotiate a three-month minimum contract. And what I say is at the end of the three months, I want to sit down and I will show you my numbers and I want you to show me your numbers. And if we feel like it's a good relationship and everything's good, then great. If we feel like it's good, but there needs to be a price adjustment on your side or my side, then let's do that. And that has worked for me every time. I feel like there are a couple of times I've had sponsors where it just hasn't worked out. You know, it just hasn't been a good value for them. And so we move on. But by and large, and I also sort of filter out if somebody balks at that, show me yours, I'll show you mine, then they're probably not a good fit for me because I want the, I want the relationship as much as anything. And that's been really successful. I do very well with sponsors. I think my listeners, well, I know because they tell me they like the products and services. 
the vendors, the, the businesses are thrilled to be a part of it. They get good return on their investment. And, you know, I produce 26 podcast episodes a year. And this year, and we're recording this in 2019, I'm going to make low to mid five figures on ads alone nice. on the podcast of 26 episodes. And it really goes back to thinking about the listener and also thinking about that sponsor and what can you give them, right, in terms of value. Kind of a, a nuts and bolts tip, Josh. People should have a media kit, and you don't need to overthink that. It can be a one-page, here's a paragraph about me or the host, here's a paragraph about what we deliver, a couple of stats, here's my, my reach, you know, either downloads or listens, or if you have a Facebook community, an Instagram account, and any partnerships you've had. And a partnership could be a sponsor. It could be you spoke somewhere about your topic, whatever it is. Um, my media kit is one page and a second page with demographics uh, if, the, if, if I think that that's relevant for that, that sponsor. Okay, excellent. I really like the, the breakdown on that. And so that I think that's really going to help a lot of people be able to take some action and be able to move forward on those pieces there. The other thing is that idea, Josh, of taking action. So the very first sponsor I got, I had a number in mind, and the person said, well, I can't afford that. And I said, okay, what can you pay? Pay that. And that's what they did. And that relationship in terms of sponsorship only lasted a couple of episodes, and it was probably far less than I, quote, unquote, could have gotten, given the size of my audience at the time. But even today, when I make 10 and sometimes 20 times more than that original ask, I would not have any of that if it wasn't for that first one. Because what it got me over is the hump of the asking and also the proof to myself that I really can deliver value. Mm -hmm. And so now I think back about I'm so happy for that $50 ad because what it really did was open my eyes and give me some confidence. And I had to work on, okay, I don't have a media kit. Let me put that together. What does that look like? You know, it was just like a first step. I think just like launching your test, putting that very first one out in the world is really hard, you know, because you not only the technology, but the, am I worthy? Is anybody going to listen? Am I any good? All those things. It's kind of the same in my experience with the sponsorship. The hardest one to get is the first one. And I would almost tell people to do that at any price. Just get the first one because you'll learn so much and mm -hmm. you will, you will, it will boost your confidence. Nice. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about in relation to local podcasting you think it would be important for somebody to know if they are getting ready to start their own? I would not let research hold you up, but I would do your research. And what I mean by that is if you can't sit down right now as you're listening to you and me, Josh, and crank out 10 minutes of topics based on your location, if you can't get to 30 or 50 topics in 10 minutes, then you really need to think about who you're targeting and, and why you're doing the podcast and those kind of things and how passionate you are. Because I think that any location in the country and in the world is really interesting when you dig into it. Every place has their own characteristics and their own quirks. Now, you don't have to fully flesh it out, but you should be able to say, I want to talk about food, or I want to talk about culture, or I want to talk about this person, or this history of this street, or the geography, or the topography. 
So if you can't just kind of stop this brainstorm for 10 minutes with a timer and come up with a good list, then you need to stop and kind of think about why. But if you can do that, that's more than enough to me to prove that you got something that you can start with. Well, excellent. One other tip that comes to mind. Yeah. And this is true, not just of local podcasts, but since we're talking about local, don't buy a ton of expensive gear. You can, there are, are plenty of or there are a decent number of, I would say, 50 to $100 mics that are really good. I could use a much more expensive mic, but I still stick with the ATR2100 or the Samson Q2U, both really solid mics. I have more expensive mics, but frankly, they work fine. Don't get hung up in the gear. Get a good set of gear, but it doesn't have to be good. doesn't necessarily mean expensive. And take action on it, because I see people spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, and then... They either never launch or they get six episodes in and they fade. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing all this. Yeah, I hope it's helpful for your audience. And if people are interested, check out some of the podcasts I mentioned. Certainly, I'd love you to check out Beyond Bourbon Street. But Chris Holyfield's one about Salt Lake is is very different and very locally focused. And I, I think the way he does it and the way he runs things is really great. And then, Josh, you and the listeners should certainly reach out to me as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcasting Experiments. If you found this episode helpful, share it with someone you think would also benefit. Together, let's help raise the bar for podcasting. Check out the website at podcastingexperiments.com. Do you want to take your podcast to the next level, but just don't have the time to make it happen? Is your time stretched to the max, struggling just to get your next podcast episode out? Do you need help just getting started? Podcast Guy Media can offer the solution to both recover your time and improve your podcast. Go to podcastguymedia.com and find out how.